On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, racism through the eyes of two young Alberta baseball products. Welcome to episode 94 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. It's hard to put into words what we're experiencing in the world right now. The death of George Floyd and the subsequent rallies and protests have sparked a movement many in our generation have never seen. As we've been watching, Ian and I have had numerous conversations about the best way to approach it from an Alberta perspective as well as a baseball perspective. While some might think we don't need to go down this path, we feel silence is not the way to go either. It's a conversation that is happening in every facet of our lives, and this sport is no exception, especially as you watch many athletes coming forward with their own stories. One thing I read recently really resonated, and it goes, quote, For a long time, fear of saying the wrong thing kept me from speaking out, but the fight for racial justice is too important for any of us to stay silent. We here at Alberta Dugout Stories believe in equality for all and stand against racism unequivocally. We're going to start this episode off with Spruce Grove's Leron Smith. He's been on the podcast before to talk about his journey in baseball, then he came back in February as he was getting ready to go to spring training with the Minnesota Twins. He's been back in Alberta. Alberta for the last few months waiting out the COVID-19 pandemic and training at Dogs Academy in Okotoks. This past weekend, he tweeted out a video as he took part in a Black Lives Matter vigil in Calgary. So we reached out in hopes of getting his perspective on the world right now and the conversation that we, as a society, are now having. Laurent, thanks so much for joining us again on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. Let's start off with the news of the day. All the rallies have been taking place around the world. What goes through your mind when you see what's happening from coast to coast, even within, you know, the place where you grew up here in Alberta? Um, just like what really just like brings kind of joy to me, I guess, because of all this is happening and all the awareness is finally happening. It's like just that everybody gets to see kind of a little bit from what our eye, like from like black people and just like just black figures and like just get to see kind of a little lens into our kind of world which is kind of nice to see and just like everybody just kind of respecting it and like obviously you get the fear the few here and there that don't really see it and can't really and it's like tough to kind of push that onto them but like for most part everybody here I've ever talked to all my friends I've ever talked to like they all just kind of see it and like they're really understanding i guess that's the best way i could put it you were at the rally in calgary over the weekend what did it mean to you to see people standing up for this cause it was it was like it was heartwarming it kind of touched like me deeply it was um definitely like a new experience i've never really felt that um kind of truly seeing like everybody come out doesn't matter what race doesn't matter what color doesn't matter whatever um like coming out and just supporting one thing and it just really really like was just so surreal as a young man in canada born here what's your experience been like when it comes to racism um it hasn't been too it's very far and few and stuff like that like there's not it hasn't been directly like pushed on me all the time and like i could really feel it but like just being like the only person of like color on like most of my baseball teams and most of like all throughout my, my life. And it's just like in sports, it's a little different because usually 
doesn't matter what race, what color you are, like it's a family type of deal. So mm. I never really felt it, but like I can definitely see whenever we travel, you'd get like I could see different looks and different areas and um police officers or something like that just giving me different looks than others and it's just it, it's just like it's just like a kind of like a dark cloud type of deal like you just have that feeling but it's not really like it's right in my face type of thing is it noticeably different in the u.s versus canada yeah yeah for sure like um like i don't have my car down there but like i have a lot of friends who drive and they're people of color too and it's just like you can just kind of see like they get a little more nervous when cops get around or just like when you ever you see just walking around stores and malls and stuff, you get different looks from people and you just, you just kind of got to blind it out a little bit, I guess. But here in Canada, it's a lot, a lot more subtle, mm-hmm. I would say. In a good way, you'd say? Uh, yeah, I would say in a better way. Yeah. Cause I feel like, I feel like Canada is definitely more evolved in the sense of like more accepting of everybody. What's it like from your perspective to see uh, your fellow athletes, but not just, you know, one or two? I mean, Kaepernick kind of got it started, but now you're mm-hmm. seeing different athletes from different walks of life, from from different backgrounds, all stepping up and saying, all right, enough's enough. Mm. It was good. Like, I'm just like, honestly, with the whole Kaepernick thing, I was just more glad to see that everybody understood now why he was doing it, not just because it was an attack against sports or against the veterans or against the flag. Like, it was just like, like, you can even see if you go back, you can see that, like, we tried all the options. And then finally, he does something to the extreme and it finally gets people's attention. And it's but like it got it all for the wrong reasons at the time. So it was tough. It's tough to like kind of like look back and be like, oh, they did that. And now they're noticing. Now they see why he was doing it. And like they can't really do anything about it. So it's just tough to see that he lost all like he, he gave up everything kind of to just get the word out, get the get the view out of what was go- really going on. What's the tone of the conversations like over text or what with Zoom or whatever the case may be with teammates, with fellow ball players, as you not only try to navigate the world of COVID, but also trying to have that conversation about what's going on in the world right now? Yeah, yeah like, and like I said, like, uh, when you're, like, when you join a team, it's, it's, you kind of become a family. So, like, I've had a few people reach out and just say, like, how you doing, stuff like that, and, like, and it's really good to see just they really want to like kind of figure out from my view and stuff like that and from other teammates of mine like, of people of color just like just have, like getting their view and their viewpoints and getting to see kind of what it was like for them and it was just good really good to like just have those people reach out and like just want to talk about it What's your main message to those who might be listening to this podcast and saying, I still don't necessarily get what's going on? Just reach out to, I would just say, reach out to people of color. Reach out, just really, really try to figure out research. I know there's a lot of biased stuff out there right now and a lot of, but like really just try to find, find just research and stuff like that about this. And like, uh, I understand, like, and, like, really understand that, like, because I know everybody loves to say, like, all lives matter, and, and like, you got to really understand that it's not just because we're keying on on one point doesn't mean we don't care about everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, like, I saw a really good quote was, um, it was on a protest, it was on a protester's uh, banner, mm-hmm. and it was saying, uh, like, all lives don't matter until black lives do. 
I was just like kind of I really saw that and I was like wow that's that's exactly kind of the, like what people need to understand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it was one of those things. I I looked at it. I saw another meme very similar. It was mm-hmm. when the Boston bombing happened. It was Boston strong. It wasn't all cities strong, exactly. right? And so there's exactly. there's that mindset there that that has really kind of I think changed the dynamic about this. And does mm-hmm. it take you by surprise a little bit that you know it, it's taken so long to get to this? I'll call it boiling point in a sense that we're actually finally having that conversation. Maybe getting a little um, honest with ourselves about it. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. It. It's really surprising. Like, because I still remember back in the day, always seeing these videos of like the police brutality and like, and just seeing that and like no one wanting to talk about it and no one wanting to, like, say anything or bring anything up and just like, now that it's kind of out there to the point where we cannot not talk about it and not face the facts and stuff like that. It's just it's just crazy that it took so long. That's the thing. Like, like you said, the boiling point and it hit, it finally reached there and it's just, it's an explosion now. When you're growing up in Alberta, did your parents teach you much about the racism side of things? Oh yeah. My mom would always like, always, always bring up like, especially like cops getting or getting pulled over and stuff like that. And just kind of how to act and always be respectful always ask for like to do something before doing it and stuff like that and just kind of making sure you just kind of follow the guidelines so you don't so nothing bad happens or like making sure you're always respectful to everybody to make sure that they don't like they don't treat they think of think of it as a threat or something like that do you talk to your brother much about this kind of stuff too oh yeah all the time like so well when we were young and we were in the same household it was pretty much like she would set us all down and just go right up like just go right over all the fat like all the stuff we need to know and like him being down there in the states a lot longer than i have and just kind of i just kind of asked his experiences and stuff like that and like it's kind of the similar thing just he here it's more subtle and then in the states you kind of you definitely get the views and you get the looks and you just get the different type of chatter as soon as like they start talking to you compared to somebody else. How challenging is that from an American perspective, trying to um, be the bigger man, take the higher road, so to speak? It, it's it's tough. It's not the easiest thing because sometimes you just want to just, just start <laughs> yelling or something like that, but you just really got to just wear it. You just kind of wear it. You kind of eat your words and just take the high road and that sense of like, you don't want to create something bigger than it has to be type of thing. Like you get, you might get a lot of people talking, you might see a lot of people talking to you and stuff like that in different ways. And you just, you just got to just wear it and kind of just think that they've been taught like that since they're a young age. So it's tough to, you can't really do nothing about it type of deal. I was listening to a podcast with Jerome Ginlow over the last couple of days, and he was talking mm-hmm. about sort of the unwritten code of hockey, which is, you know, you don't bring race into the discussion. Do you get the sense exactly. that baseball's in the same kind of vein? Sports in general might be in the same vein. Is You can go after pretty much anything, but skin color is definitely not one of them. Exactly. Like, that's exactly how I'm glad he brought it up like that, because him being such a big time NHL like player, especially of color and like having so many years in the NHL, it's great to like hear from like that stuff. And like uh, there was recently um, stuff put out from Tory Hunter. So he was also in the Twins organization mm-hmm. and just it was really cool to like or I guess not really cool, but it was nice to see that he finally 
started to say stuff about it and like his experiences at different ballparks and with fans and stuff like that and still like him being a popular name at the time and like just like seeing that he still got treated differently is just it was eye-opening and stuff like that so you mentioned the Tory Hunter story but do you find yourself reading a little bit more from the athlete's perspective like honestly, ever since this really happened, I've been I've been looking at everything type of deal. Like I didn't want to be the one trying to push my own views and stuff like that without having any facts behind it. And like, obviously, I, when I see a sports story, it makes me just like hurt a little inside because like it's just so deeply connected with me. So, um, like seeing that, it really, it really, really like kind of just wanted. I just really wanted to just like. <laughs> just really get to know get to like talk to him more or something like that or just mm-hmm. like figure out more just kind of it was just tough to see type of deal has there been one story or one analogy that's really stuck out to you over the course of all your readings over the last few weeks here um just honestly they were uh, at the candlelight vigil so like in calgary here we had they had like they were reading off names and like yeah it was the names obviously like and it was just like tough to like kill the swallow but really what was the toughest part was just hearing their ages hearing like how young they were and how like they never even got a chance to experience a full life and it's just really tough to like pill to kind of swallow and so taking away color and stuff you just got to realize like people like it's kids getting killed too it's not just like criminals or it's not just people of color it's like it's kids and young people and young men and just and young women and it's just crazy to see and that's like really the toughest part for me to swallow type of thing when i was at that uh, at that little uh candlelight vigil mm-hmm. it seems so sports are a bit of a refuge it's one of those places that is mm-hmm. you know all encompassing if you can play you can play kind of thing how integral has that been in your eyes being able to escape the realities of the world i guess is the way to put it mm-hmm. i mean it's just like like you said it was like a safe haven um kind of getting there and like me noticing right away like okay it's i'm the only person of color on this team and just like thinking that i might be treated a little different um but like as soon as i got there as soon as they saw i could play as soon as like it just they all it just became so close-knit and such like a family-oriented thing instead of like people seeing that i'm a colored kid i'm now just uh one of the one of the guys one of the teammates like it's just such a safe haven type of that and that deal of like it's like love just all around the team and like whether like it doesn't matter highs or lows like everybody just loving each other and stuff like that so it was really good it's like a really good like escape i guess as you as you said from reality have there been situations in the past on the field where the racist card was played whether it be from fans or or opposition um, i would say i would say it's happened like once or twice from fans, but nothing to the point where like I could not focus on the game because of what they said. There's been maybe a few like of opposing teams whenever we travel to the States and stuff like that. But you just, you just kind of, you got to take the high road. You can't really stop a game and uh, mid play and (laughs) try to pick a fight with some guy who's calling you names. It's just, you just kind of wear it and just, obviously just try to outplay them and that's how you prove them on or off on and off the field 
One of the stories I heard was from uh, a younger player here in this province who was called out for skin color, and he said that added motivation, and they ended up winning a championship out of the deal. I mean, it can prove to be a bit of a, a motivator as well for, for those who are targeted, and, and especially if the team's got your back. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. Like, um, whenever it happened to me, like, my team would hear it, and they would, like, they'd be let's say if I was playing third base and the guy was yelling from second base my shortstop would be just step in and be like yo yo you don't say that like that's not how we that's not how you do things here and then like him just backing me up or something like that I just really felt like okay this like I'm, I'm about to like I'm about to show it on the field I'm about to take this and show it on the field maybe even get us a win, maybe even just do whatever I can to kind of prove prove that person wrong. Mm-hmm. I want to switch gears just a little bit because right before all of this played out, we had COVID and it kind of got mm-hmm. in the way of you being able to strut your stuff on the field again. So I wanted to get a bit of a status update on how has the, the bounce back from injury been and how did things go prior to uh, COVID shutting everything down? Uh, it was good. Like I'm, I, I was really just, like happy that me and my family and like all my closest friends and family like just they're all healthy and just strong and I just, I really just that was the biggest thing kind of with the whole COVID it wasn't me not being able to play it was just will everybody be safe type of deal um it does suck obviously that they we were off the field and I can't be playing I can't be showing what I wanted to show this year and but um I just kind of take it with a grain of salt and just get ready for the next season and that's I guess that's going to be my come out here. I know you've been uh, keeping up with uh, as much as you can on the physical side mm-hmm. of things. What kinds of things have you been up to to try to stay in shape while you're waiting for the green light to be given again? Um, I was very fortunate to get like uh, my own little type of home gym set up type of going. So um, I've been really just hitting that as hard as I can. Um, running every once in a while, trying to get the fresh air from being cooped up inside all the time. Mm. Um, so yeah, just pretty much whatever I can at the, with whatever I got type of deal. You focusing on anything in particular as you get closer and closer to maybe returning to the field? Um, really just kind of honing the whole catching. Um, I remember like, uh, we talked about this prior, um, in prior podcasts is just, um, like it's being a new position for me, just really trying to get that down because I know that my swing will play as long as, but I just got to get on the field with uh, the defense. Ron, appreciate the time. As always, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Sounds good. Thank you. After the conversation about racism started up again, it got me to thinking about an episode we had with Connor Pote late last year after he was named a Baseball Alberta Award winner. I asked him about the highlight of the year for him, and it was a specific game at a tournament in BC where he said one of his teammates, Jose Nunez, had been the target of what he called some disrespectful things. He didn't get into it too much, but it led me to reach out to Nunez to see what was up. He was born in Honduras, and his family moved to Ontario when he was eight. A few years later, they made the trek to Alberta, where he's been playing with Dogs Academy. In this chat, we talk about his upbringing, his love of baseball, and about racism. Jose, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your story. Uh, All right, so I was actually born in Honduras, so it's a small country in Central America, uh, you know, people there are very humble, very hardworking. Uh, fortunately enough, my family worked really hard, um, and we were able, they were able to provide us with a good, with a good childhood, you know, growing up in private school, uh, that sort of thing. But again, with that, my dad, my dad, my dad's employees 
weren't so lucky. So I got to see both sides of the equation there. I uh, got to see what the world is really like, you know, all the hard stuff, all that, all that good stuff, um, you know, and then uh, I moved to Ontario, uh, played there in Burlington, Ontario, played there at Steed Academy, uh, along with the Burlington Bulldogs, then uh, we decided to uh, to chase the oil here to Alberta. And obviously, you ended up with Dogs Academy. How did that? Um, how did that opportunity come about? Um, it actually, I would say, it started my uh, my PE second year. So that's when I really, uh, really told myself, "Hey, you know, if you really want to do this, you have to uh, you have to work hard." So I met uh, I met a guy down in Edmonton, Riley Ross, and uh, I'll never forget the day he told me. He's like, "My biggest regret is uh, not working hard when I was young." And so from that day on, I've just been absolutely scared of death and dying with regrets. And so we uh, we trained super, super hard that offseason and uh, basically evolved, you know, from a small, chunky kid to a more more developed player to where the that peewee second year season, which I believe would have been 2017, um, I was ready to go. Uh, right off the bat, uh, Josh McKinnitz, uh, the coach for the 13U Peewee Dogs, he told me, hey, you're coming to Nationals with us. We want you to be part of the team. Um, and, you know, I took that responsibility um, with heart, with everything, and I, we led the team to the to the first ever Albertan team to win a game at the 13U Nationals, where later they, uh, they invited me out to the Bantam tryouts Right away, they're like, yeah, we want you to stay here. And so we decided to make the move, my dad and I. We uh, we stayed out in Anchorage for six months. The family was split. We're actually from up north. So we were about four hours away, both sides of the family. And uh, eventually we we uh, we moved to Cheshire, where, where now we're all back together. So That is fantastic. Talk a little bit about um, what got you into baseball in the first place. Um... My first baseball, my first baseball experience was uh, in Honduras. So it was a small club, maybe about 30-ish kids. It was uh, just very humble people, very hardworking kids, playing the game for fun. Um, from there, after that, we moved to Canada, and I kind of stopped playing for a little bit. But uh, there in Burlington, uh, we got some cheap gloves. We started playing with my dad. And it evolved into me trying out for, for the team there. Uh, I was the last pick on the team. And, uh, again, you know, I just fell in love with it and, and worked hard with it. So, Kind of sounds like you quite enjoy being a bit of the underdog in a sense. You, even if you're the last one that's picked, you're going to go out there and give it all you got. Yeah, it's just, just the way I was raised, right? Uh, you know, from uh, everything in my life, it's been work your way from the bottom to the top so that's the way i like to live my life it's if, if you're doing something better than me i'm gonna go and try to do it better than you so any highlights so far in your time with the dogs and oh for sure for sure so um you know as a 15 year old we got to go down and uh play on the west coast uh we played i think it was 12 universities uh i believe eight of those were d1s um, and you know what, uh, definitely the game against Gonzaga went out there and pitched 
two innings in my first inning of work, struck out two. I uh, definitely wasn't expecting that. Uh, hit a new personal best with my fastball velocity, and uh, that's kind of set the tone for uh, for you know where I want to be after high school, and you know where I want to end up possibly too. So. What's it meant to you to be able to play the game that you love and be able to do it at a level like this and, and just be able to have that camaraderie with your, your teammates the way you do? Oh, it, it, it's my nighty thing. Um, you can ask anyone who isn't one of my baseball friends. They uh, they know that I'll bring them into this world of of ball with me. And, you know, I've developed some friendships that, uh, that are extremely strong, uh, some good habits. Uh, so for me, it's, it's everything. It's it's taught me to be the way I am today. It is who I am. It's it's everything about me. So wanted to talk a little bit about a conversation that I had with a teammate, Connor Pote, back uh, in November, I believe it was, and I asked him about you know single highlights of the 2019 season, and he said that there was a, a game in the Langley tournament where some stuff was being said um, and being disrespectful towards you. And I don't necessarily want you to to single out players or anything like that, but give us a sense from your perspective as to what happened during that game. Yeah, for sure. So, so this story actually starts back in uh, in Kamloops, right? Um, let me set this, the the tone for you. Was, uh, Semi-final game in Kamloops. Both semi-final games were going on at, going on at the same time. Uh, the teams were. I mean, we could see the other the other fields from where we were, and they could see us. Uh, both games were close the whole time, which led to them both being in extra innings. So we had, and I, you know, I don't want to say this, but we had three three really really good arms on the bench, and. And you know, whereas the other teams were, were running out of arms, we we knew we had to do everything we had to do uh, to win that game. So I, I I think we put our top three guys in. So it started off with Connor. We wanted him to uh, to lock the game up, but uh, you know he worked his I believe it was two innings of work with six strikeouts. You know, both teams are going back and forth with with their best arms and. Their arm gets taken out, so then they put me into the game. I go out there and do my job, but I believe I hit a pitch limit just like Connor. So then we uh, we put Carter Anderson in, and and you know, so now they have runners on first, second, and third, and they're about to win this thing. And then Connor, Carter gets a, a laser right back to him. We got a double play. We get out of it. We end up going to win the game. Um, we end up, we win the game, right? And so we're the first team in the finals, uh, whatever. We end up winning the tournament, and then on our way home, we're looking on our Instagram post, you know, with our championship rings, and we just start to see like comments flooding and flooding and flooding, and we're like, mm, you know, something's not 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 right here. And um, there was there was some comments coming from from that West. Uh, British Columbia team that were, you know, just out of place, uh, bad sportsmanship. Uh, no, there's no other way to put it than just disrespectful. Um, and then one of their teammates decided, hey, you know, Jose sounds like a, a, a Spanish name. Let's generalize him with a, with a couple bad apples and let's just absolutely flame him for no reason. 
and, and you know, call him this word that I'm not going to say live on air, mm. along with other things. And it's kind of like, you know, the, the team sees this, and they immediately from there, uh, they, they became our rivals. You know, we were going to do absolutely everything to stop this team. And so, and so now fast forward to Langley, same situation, quarterfinal game. Uh, you know, we're playing under the lights. Everyone's watching. Everyone's ready to go. And uh, th- it's, a, it's a really strong team that we're playing against. And um, fun fact, uh, before uh, before the game, we were kind of waiting there to kind of talk it out with them uh, before the game. Uh, they didn't want to do nothing with us. You know, they were being disrespectful. They didn't want to share the batting cages. And, and, and we were going to talk it out with them um, like human beings, like like people, no more people would do. But they just didn't give us that opportunity. Um, so so then during the game, the lights are the lights are on, the sky is dark. There is probably about two hundred people in the stands waiting for this game, and and it just starts going back and forth. The coaches didn't know what was going on, and we just played differently, and and we both teams battled the whole the whole game to defend. You know me me to defend their their teammate that said the comments and and I cannot explain to you the the excitement everything that was going on in that stadium at that time um it, it was definitely crazy for sure so fast forward through the game I believe it was a 1-1 game all the way to the seventh inning and uh they just had to score a run on a, on a blooper there and um everyone's down upset and the game goes into extra innings again. So this is our second game against them. Extra innings again. Uh, both arms are in. And, and then, uh, so they're running out of arms now because they need to save arms for the semifinals and the finals. And uh, and Connor Cole comes up to bat. And they decide to do a switching pit, uh, a pitching switch, I mean. Mm. And um, so Connor comes up to bat. And, and Connor being, you know, my best friend, he's there always to protect me, you know, just, you know how teammates are, right? If, yeah. if someone says something towards your teammates, he's going to be there to protect you. And the next thing I see is, you know, the kid that did, said all these things is coming up to, to, to pitch and Connor's up to bat, and I'm like, something bad is going to happen. And if you've ever played at that, that, that Langley Stadium, you know, it's, it's, it's large, it's big to center field. And it's got a giant batter's eye in the middle of it, right? Yeah. So, Connor's up to bat. It goes quiet. The next thing you hear is, whoosh, Connor explodes the ball off the top of the center field wall. You know, we get the lead. Next inning, they get the lead. And then we end up closing out the game. And and I, and I actually, you know, the coaches throughout the game found out what was going on. And, and of course, Alan Cox, Lou Pope are, are there to have our backs, you know. Their players, they're they're willing to do whatever for us. Must have meant a lot to you to have teammates stand up for you like that. Yeah, no, absolutely, it meant a lot. Um, it, it really showed who we were um, and, and what we were there to do. Right, we uh, we did everything for the right reasons, um, and 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 it really showed the character of the guys on our team. And uh, I, I believe we went undefeated actually for the rest of the season after that. So. 
So it's, I, it totally brought us together. Um, you know, showed me who some of the quieter guys were. They, uh, they definitely let their game speak for them that day. Um, yeah, that, that's it basically there. Mm-hmm. Just brought us together. Was that something that you had seen before the racism side, the, you know, the, the ugly comments like that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's not something that you can compare with, uh, you know, with what African-Americans are going on, uh, going through in America. It's not something you can compare with what happened to first nations people in Canada. Um, but it is something that, that does hurt my heart, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what really hurts me and, and what I see a lot is, you know, the, the insensitive comments that people make that I don't think they realize can actually, you know, hurt someone. You know, you get the, you know, go back to your own country or, you know, this and that. I'm not going to say on air, but, but but you do see this these things. And I, I've seen it from teachers, from from sadly teammates um you know friends and and, and it's something that i would say i'd see at least a couple times a week and and i believe the issue is that people don't even know that they're saying it right Mm -hmm. so that to me is is uh what i see uh of course not to not to bring it to a bigger degree than than what it really is but it still is a problem is it something that you kind of open your eyes to after something like that happens? Is that you kind of look at the world through a different lens and maybe um, start to understand it maybe a little bit more and start to to realize that hey, this is more than just a, a one off incident. Um. Yeah. I would say. I would say beforehand. Um. I, I was kind of uh, already aware of of what was going on in uh, in people's hearts, but for sure to see to see such a such a small baseball game right mm-hmm. such a such a western uh, baseball in western canada you know we're friends from all the way from bc to Alberta, and and just to see you know that bad group of apples um you know trying to ruin those friendships and those bonds it, it was eye-opening for me for sure that that this still is a a problem uh, that will continue to happen, unfortunately, and, and there's no way to change it other than uh, you know, than making them aware of, of what they're doing. Because I because I personally believe that you know they'll say these things without realizing how it could really harm someone, and and, and that's that's what it is to me. Mm-hmm. When you were growing up, was this something that your parents or your family tried to, to keep you aware of to make you understand that, hey, this might be something that you're targeted for at some point down the line? Absolutely, yes. Um, you know, even when I first moved to Canada, my first experience with uh, with racism, the first thing I went, uh, I went and told my mom, um, she had a conversation with me and, and who I thought were my friends at the time, um, and she she, she basically explained to us, hey, you know, the, the world is, is not nice, very not, not, not a very nice place. And uh, unfortunately, you'll see things like this, um, you know, and, and they've experienced racism, too. Um, you know, they went to high school. My mom went to high school in, in the States, and she experienced racism there. Um, so it's kind of something that before I came to Canada, 
that we had had a talk about, we we did sit down and you know explained how it could affect and, and how we could overcome this together. So, how important is it in your eyes to be able to have some of these difficult, sometimes awkward conversations and allow us to open up maybe a little bit more? Um, you know, I think it's super important, right? Baseball is a is a, a sport for for every race, every gender. Um, however you may identify, you can play baseball. And I think more and more we start to see different cultures and different religions start to play the sport. You know, I went from having no foreign teammates on my team to now having, you know, 10, 10 different guys in the academy who, who were born elsewhere. And I think for sure people are becoming more accepting of it and less, less judging of your skin color when you have your uniform on, less judging of your gender when you have your uniform on. You know, you see Ellie Jesperson, everyone's extremely um, inspired by her because she's able to go out and do what she does despite, you know, the way that people may look at her, right? Mm -hmm. She's one of the best players that I've met in Alberta. And, and, And it's all because when she puts her uniform on, and when her team puts her uniform on, uh, we're all the same and we're all here for the same thing, right? And that, and I think that's where baseball in Alberta for sure is heading with um, with a more diverse community in the, in the, for sure. Final question for you. What does the game of baseball mean to you? Ooh. Uh, well, it, it's, my, it's my life, right? It's... Uh, it's the game of baseball. I, I guess you can't put a price to it. Um, over the over the last two two and a half months without baseball, it really showed me you know what life is going to be after it. And unfortunately, it's going to be a thing one day where I don't play baseball. But while I have it, it's going to be everything that I do. It's going to be everything I pour my heart into. And uh, I don't ever want to stop playing, right? Jose, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sharing your story and joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Again, thanks to both Laurent Smith and Jose Nunez for joining us and sharing their respective stories. We'd also like to thank all of you for downloading and listening. If you have a story idea or a podcast guest you'd love to hear from, drop us a line on any of our social media platforms, and you can always email us as well at albertadugoutstories at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for all of your support, no matter the platform of Alberta Dugout Stories.